this morning now, as Hillary already mentioned, we're going to be kicking off our Advent series together. And, and Advent, if you're not familiar, is, is what happens. It's, it's this season, the four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. And it's something that, that really churches all over the world have celebrated for about the past 1,500 years. And, and this word Advent, it, it means coming or arrival. Advent is the time where, where the church, where we as the, the people of God, where we take time to, to simply prepare our hearts in expectation of Jesus. It's an opportunity for us this season in a time where I think if most of us are honest, it's a busy season that, that in the midst of all that, in a, in a season that's often filled with a lot of distractions, a lot of busy, a lot of chaos, where, where, where we just simply stop and we, we set our hearts and fix our minds on the true meaning and gift of Christmas. And so really it's our prayer uh, for us as a church that, that, that we, that's what we would do. That's what would happen in the season. That we, that we wouldn't lose sight of Jesus in the midst of the season, but that we would draw even nearer to him. And in doing so, that, that we would get a bigger sense of who Jesus is, that we would see him more clearer as we look upon him, that our hearts would enjoy and peace and faith and a love for God. And so we're calling this, this Advent series for Unto Us uh, because our goal for this series is really where we're just going to focus in on Jesus and, uh, and on the, the full story of Christmas, which is the gospel story. So that, that's really what our Advent is going to be all about. We're going to talk about in four parts, uh, the problem, the promise, the proclamation, and the plan. Uh, and so I'm going to kick us off with the first one this morning. Uh, if you're able to, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into to our message. <clears throat> As I tell you guys uh, every week, but for those who are newer, uh, what I like to do is I like to pray, and then I want to invite you to pray. Okay, just right where you are. God, I'm not like special, more special to God on a stage than you are where, you, where you're sitting. God wants to hear from you as much as he wants to hear from me. Okay, and so I want to pray. I want to invite the Lord to minister to us, and then I want you to take a minute to just invite the Lord yourself to say, God, come and speak to me in my heart. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this season. Lord, it really is a, a blessed time. And God, uh, as we gather here this morning, Lord, thank you for being in our midst. And God, I pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that God, you would minister to every heart in this room, God, that you would open every heart unto you, God, that, that we'd have eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth, God, that, that informs us, that changes us, that transforms us, Lord. I pray that, that as your word is shared today, God, that, that you would, that you would change our hearts that you would make us more like you. God, we need you this morning. God, we want to hear from you. So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you just take a minute and just invite the Lord right where you are? And you can just tell him, Lord, would you come and speak to me this morning? Just tell him, God, I want to hear from you today. God, I want to hear the words that you have to speak to me. God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you that it is your desire, God, for us to know you and for us to hear you. And God, that it's not a mistake we're here this morning. It didn't, it's not happenstance. It's not an accident. But God, you planned that every single person in this room would be seated here, would be in this room today, Lord, just so that we might know you 
God, that we could hear from you and that, God, we could be changed by you. So, Lord, would you do a work in us today by your spirit? God, we commit this time to you. Lord, have your way in me. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Question for you guys is, we get started this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever tried to uh, jump into watching a movie or a TV show somewhere in the middle? Anybody ever done that before? How well does that work out? N- not, not too good, right? I mean, it, it, it turns out that, it, that things seem to be a bit confusing, right? Like, like there's all kinds of unanswered questions. I, I remember uh, years ago, there was this movie that came out called Memento. Did anybody ever see that movie? It was like back in the early 2000s. And it was this movie that started at the end and went to the beginning, which was already confusing. Okay, and I came at about the middle of that movie. And so it was even more confusing than it was... So, so like by the time it got to the end, I was totally lost, okay? And, 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 and I had to watch it over again because it made absolutely no sense. I, and you know how it is. Like if you've ever seen a movie with friends, the most annoying person in the room is the one who just asks you questions all the time. Hey, hey, why, why did he do that? What's that about? What, you know, whether that's a show or a, or a movie. Or, and nobody wants to be that person, right? Whether it's a book or, or a movie or a conversation, if you really want to have a full picture, if you really want to have a complete understanding, right, then it's not helpful to start in the middle. To really get it, you have to start at the beginning. That seems probably like common sense to most of us, but often what tends to happen with the Christmas story is that, that we, we really tend to start with, with the nativity scene, don't we? I, I, I mean, oftentimes we start kind of right here, and, and we start in this place, like there's angels and, and shepherds and wise men and, and a baby in a manger and, and Mary and Joseph, and, and, this, is, and this is like, hey, let's, this is the Christmas story for us. It's the picture that we all have of Christmas. And the only problem with that is that, that this is actually more like the middle of the story. This is, I mean, this is a great story, right? Like this, is a, this, this part of the story, we love it. We hear it every year. It's probably nostalgic for a lot of us. But, but it's not where the story begins. It's, again, it kind of, it gets us to the middle of the story. When you start in the middle, right, you tend to overlook some things. You tend to miss some things that are important to the story. And so, so here's where I want to start us this morning together and say to you that, that for us to truly understand the great joy of of that baby in a manger born in Bethlehem, we have to first understand that that this event is rooted in in both great love and and profound grief in the heart of God. And and if we miss this, if if we miss this reality of the story, then then we ultimately miss out on the glory of that baby in a manger in the Christmas story all together. So so if you have your Bible, uh, you can open it up to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at just a few verses together. Uh, Verses 5 through... Okay, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And here's what it says. Okay, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on earth and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out mankind whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah, it says, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, now notice something here in verse 6. Notice that, that the Lord, that says that the Lord was sorry that he made mankind and it grieved him to his heart. Do you see that? I, I want you just to consider, just for, for a minute, how deeply personal the nature of that statement is. Okay, that the Lord God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of you and I, of all of humanity, that, that, that God was grieved, that God was sorry, that his heart was pained. These words tell us something that happened was, was very personal, that, that this was a, a personal offense, a, a personal affront, a personal betrayal, okay? And, and what was it that, that brought so much pain to the heart of God? Look at verse five, it tells us, for the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth. And listen, every intention of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil continually. Wow. Like, do you see how graphic and just all-inclusive this statement is, right? God's like, look at the, the wickedness of mankind. The wickedness of humanity is so great. It's so deep. It's so complete that even every intention, every thought, every inclination of the heart is only, like, you, like, like there's not room for more. It's only evil continually all the time. That's what is. It, is there really a darker or sadder passage that speaks about us in all of Scripture than this one? Now, in order for us to really understand the great tragedy and, and horror of these words and, and how sad all of this is to the heart of God, we have to first really understand these words relationally because this passage is describing for us something that is deeply personal. And if we don't hear it as deeply personal, if we, we miss the relational part of the whole thing, that then we'll never really see and grab hold of the beauty of what we tend to think of the Christmas story, that baby in a manger. We'll, we'll miss that whole piece because from the very beginning, from the start, from when God started it all, it was God's intention, it was God's creation, it was God's purpose that mankind would be made to love God and to know God and to walk with God in relationship with him forever. We read this in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis, right? The beginning of the Bible. We know scripture kicks off and it tells us about this God who creates and God just speaks, right? God just says, let there be. And whatever God says, boom, it just blows up into existence, okay? And so God speaks, scripture says, and he creates the heavens and the earth and he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and God speaks and he creates the land and the sea and all the animals and birds and fish to fill them. And God, the Bible says, looks at his creation and he says, oh, this is good. 
right? God says, man, look at what I, this is good, my creation. Only that wasn't the end of God's creation, right? In fact, that everything that God had made up until that point was made in preparation for his final creation, right? His final uh, creation, you and me, mankind. And so God says in Genesis 1, chapter 26, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they decide, look, we're going to make mankind, only we're going to make mankind unlike anything else in all of creation. This one's going to be radically different from the rest because this one I'm going to, going to make to be like me. Okay, I'm going to make this one in my image. I'm going to make this one to be like me, to reflect me. Just like our children bear our image and our likeness, God created us in that same way. And so God makes mankind. Only when God creates mankind, he doesn't speak us into existence. No, he makes us altogether different. When, when God makes mankind, God actually gets his hands down into the dirt and he forms us and he fashions us. God's hands, his fingerprints are all over us as he makes us uniquely unto himself. Okay, and then God does something that he doesn't do with anything else in all of creation but us. It tells us that then God breathes his breath into us and that breath makes us come alive. Now, now scripture doesn't, say that God breathes air into us. Okay, it says that God breathes his breath into us. And that word for breath is this word spirit. And, and so God, God's not breathing oxygen into the lungs of something dead. God's bringing, breathing his spirit, his life, his essence into his creation, into you and I. That we would come alive, that we were made to be filled with God. You see how deeply personal this is it tells us that god looks at us that god looks at this creation and he says ah this one this is very good all, all the other stuff that i made man that stuff was good that was impressive if i do say so right like like man that's good i don't know if you've ever made anything close to as amazing as a sunset but i'll bet you haven't okay but God said, you know what, that's good. But then God makes mankind and he says, but this one, this one's very good. This one is unique and above all of the rest. This is what I was after. Why, why, is, why is God, why, why is that so, so true? Why, why, why is God saying all this kind of, well, because what we have to understand about creation altogether is, is that, that everything else that God made was made for us. That, that all the rest of creation, in a sense, was made for us, for us to steward and work and, 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 and take joy in and take part in. But we were created for him. Creation was made for our benefit, but, but we were made for him. We were made to know him. We were made to love him. Okay, not because God needed us, okay, but because God wanted us, which is ultimately the real essence of love, okay? L love isn't really love if I have to need you in order to love you or be loved by No, no, because I, I love you because, not because fill in the blank, because that's love. And that's how 
God is, that we would know him and love him forever. And that this love for, of God, this, this God-centeredness, this, this God-consciousness, this Godward way of living, it was meant to shape every thought and motive and choice and decision and word and action of our life so that in every single situation, our reason for doing and thinking and being and acting would be God. It would be us just recognizing his presence recognizing his existence, recognizing his authority and his majesty and out of this place of of deep and personal love for him that we would willingly and humbly and joyfully serve him and obey him with our all. See, see, obedience, one of the things we have to know about obedience, obedience is, is not ultimately some dutiful submission to some subjective rules. That's how we often think about obedience. It's like this thing you have to do against your will, right? It's just this duty you have to get done, right? To something subjective, to something like, well, that's what you think I ought to do and how you think it ought to go. Real obedience, though, is rooted in love. And so because I love God, who's the lawgiver, I find joy in staying inside of his boundaries. I find joy in doing what he's called me to do. I find joy in serving him. I find joy in pointing to his glory, all out of love for him. And this was God's intention and purpose for mankind. So this isn't something that's uniquely spiritual. Rather, it's something that's ultimately woven into our DNA and the true calling of all of humanity to love God. And so when we read Genesis 6 verse 5, it's clear that something has happened to us and some other love has claimed the heart of humanity because no longer is mankind delighted to serve God and no longer do they find joy in his joy and no longer do they want to stay inside of his boundaries and obey him. Instead, mankind simply willingly, purposefully, and continually, Scripture says, does what is evil always in the sight of God and God is grieved to his heart so much so that it says that he is sorry that he created us. Do you, do you feel how deep that is? R- remember, we, we studied this for a long time in our last series, that, that the greatest commandment, the great commandment in Scripture, right? Jesus told us that. We read it in the Gospels, right? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, now listen, if loving God is the ultimate command, then the greatest evil is to not love him. The greatest evil then is to reject his love, is to rebel against him, is to find your joy and purpose and identity and meaning in something or someone other than God, is to live for the glory of another. Okay, and so now, now listen, I'm not saying here that, that if you uh, don't love God, okay, that means you don't love at all, okay? Because like all of us love. None of us is loveless. We, we were created to love. We were hardwired to love, okay? So if you're not loving God, you are simply giving your love to someone else. So the question is, well, what, what other love then could possibly be so seductive and so powerful and so deceptive that it could cause us to turn our love away from God and replace him with another. 
And if you ask that question, you've asked a good one, and you are also the answer to that question. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul makes this statement as he's talking about the life and death of Jesus. He he says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that he, talking about Jesus, died for all. Listen, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Jesus Paul says, listen, Jesus died, Jesus came, was that mankind then would no longer live for us, ourselves. You see that? What is it that ultimately replaces our love for God that leads us into an endless and continual evil? It is the love of self. Somehow, in in some way, we place ourselves in the center of our own world, upon the throne of our own life, to be our own God, obsessed with our own will, our own way, sovereign over our own lives, living by our own rules, setting our own standards, right? Dictating for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is good, what is evil, consumed with our own comfort and pleasure and happiness and living for our own glory. And when this happens, you will find yourself continually stepping over the boundaries and commands of God and his purposes for you because your heart is motivated not by a love for him, but by a love for yourself. If you just look around sometime and pay attention, you'll see an overwhelming amount of empirical evidence of this dominating and controlling and enslaving and life-shaping self-love. Right? I mean, just, just think about it. Just look around. Do you know what it is that makes marriage so hard? Selfishness. It's self-love, right? That's why it's so hard to serve one another. Right? That's why it's so hard to just let a discussion go and not end with an I told you so, right? Or, or whatever. That's why it's so easy to take or, <coughs> or to have and why it's so hard to give while that, why that's such a struggle for us. Because of selfishness, because of self-love. You know what makes parenting so hard? It's that you gave birth to self-lovers, okay? (laughs) Right? I mean, if you have kids, like, or just hang out with kids, right? From, From the moment they show up on the scene, and God, I love kids. I got five kids. I love them, okay? I love them, and they're terrible need Jesus, right? But like, no, I'm just kidding. From from, from the moment they show up, right? It's like, listen, here's what I want. I want you to feed me now. I want you to change me now. I want you to hold me now. Okay. Oh, 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 you're busy. Oh, oh, you haven't slept. Oh, you're tired. Oh, oh, you need a little bit more sleep. Yeah, too bad. I want you to do this right now because I got this thing that I need, right? And I need you to do that. And guess what? I'll just scream and cry and do whatever until you get up to do something about this, okay? And guess what? You will. Because <laughs> you can only handle it so long and they're just, they can outlast us. I don't know. Exactly. You know, what, you know what's true though is I, I've never had any of my kids uh, come to me and say, hey, um, dad, I, I just want you to know I love your rules. <clears throat> I love your expectations. I love your boundaries, okay? And, 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 and I just want you to know that, that, that I love it when you exercise authority and discipline in my life. Um, and so if you could just please 
continue with that. I just want you, that is changing my life for so much good, right? That hasn't happened, not yet anyways. I pray one day, right? Like sometime one of my kids has a revelation, like, Dad, I gotta tell you something. And And if you've ever had that happen, please tell me about it. I just wanna sort of live vicariously through you in that. Um, But but we're selfish by nature, right? We're we're self-oriented. We're easily angered and offended and annoyed and frustrated because life is not going the way that I planned it. Right? This is not the way I set it out to go. This isn't the way I prepared for life to happen for me or, or with me. Right? Because people are not doing what I want them to do. They're not being how I want them to be. Jesus, brother James, says it like this in James 4.1. He says, he says, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James is, James is like, listen, you know the real reason why you have strife and, and conflict and war out here is because you actually have a war in here. That, that, that the biggest problem you're facing is not the one that's out here. It's the one in here. It's the one in your own heart, in your own self, okay? It's a war uh, for your own selfishness and self-centeredness, that, that, that struggle that you have of trying to be God of your own life. I, I don't know if you've figured this out yet, or not, if you haven't, you will, but you're not a good God. You, you as a person, you make a terrible God of your own life. In fact, I'll say this to you, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who has lied to you or disappointed you more than you have. Somehow, though, at the same time, while that's true for us, you and I still keep going to this well of self, right? Convinced that somehow we know the way and have the answers. And the truth is that this self-love, this idea, whether we're aware of it or not, that the, that the world exists for me, that it's my will, my way, my rules, my standard, my self-identity, my self-righteousness, my self-definition, all me, that, 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 that this is the reason for all the wickedness and darkness and depravity of our world. Think about this. Murder and violence is ultimately rooted in self-love. Every moment of greed is rooted in self-love. Every kind of gossip and slander is rooted in self-love. Every bit of disobedience to parents is rooted in self-love. Every moment of adultery is rooted in self-love. All the evil of this world has happened and is happening because we no longer love God as we should and we're made to. When this love of God that we're designed for isn't there, things no longer work the way that they were meant to. Things don't function how they were supposed to. We don't relate the way we were created to. It destroys everything. And evil and chaos and hurt and abuse and confusion and addiction and pride and lust and, and death and every kind of evil and wickedness run rampant. All because of love for self. And we see it every day. And if we probably see it in our own context every day, we see it, we read it in the news, we watch it on television, it's all around us. But listen here, here, here's how you know that God loves you, okay, also in this statement. You know God loves you because his heart was broken. When you love someone and they turn their back on you, 
When you love someone and they betray you, right, and they give their love to someone else, if your heart doesn't break, you ultimately did not love them from the beginning anyway. See, God proves himself not just to be creator God, not just to be sovereign and almighty, but to be a God of radical love for us as he weeps at our betrayal. Because we were made, as Colossians tells us, by him and for him, to love him. Instead of that, we choose to pursue a love of self. And we, we spend our lives on ourselves. We, we chase after things that will never truly satisfy or fill us. No wonder the heart of God is grieved. See, 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 when you read passages like this in Scripture, it's good to let your imagination just kind of go with it. It's good to see this, not just to sort of read it and move on, like, like, but, but to feel that in the story, to, to, to read that and just see the tears in the eyes of God, to hear his weeping over us as our Father, the creator of heaven and earth, is grieved, not only because our love has been taken from him, but because we are the ones who stole that love to put it upon ourselves. Is there a greater betrayal than this one? This is the ultimate form of betrayal. So what should God do? How, how, how should God respond to us? What, what should be God's way with our sin and, and, and our rebellion. One of the things that, that, that we have to understand and know about sin is, is that all of sin, every sin, is ultimately a sin against God. You have never only sinned this way, okay? You, you have never only sinned against or with another person. Every sin happens this way, ultimately, against God, because every sin comes down to a forsaking of him, a refusing to love him, a rejection of his authority and his glory and his presence. Every sin is vertical. And that's why in the Psalms we hear King David, right? Like King David is confessing his own adultery with uh, another and a, and a plot to have her husband murdered, right? In Psalm 51, David confesses, but he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, he says to God. David, David says, my sin wasn't first that I didn't love and honor Bathsheba and her husband Uriah as I should have. My first and greatest sin was that I did not love and honor you, God, as I should have. And everything else was the result of that. This is against you. Now, now, now if you were God, how would you deal with that? If, if that were you, how would you handle such a betrayal? Listen to what God says in verse 7. It says, So the Lord said, I will blot out mankind whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, that does not sound good. Right? Like, when you hear those words, there's nothing in you that goes like, great. Yeah. Right? Like, you're like, whoa, slow down, God. <laughs> right? This doesn't sound like this is going to end well for us at all. And, and, and this is not some like out of control, raging, vengeful God, 
okay, making this proclamation. This is a holy and righteous and just God, a God who can administer his judgment and justice for sin perfectly, which scripture ultimately tells us that, that the wages of sin is death, okay? That, that sin, the byproduct of sin is death. If there was no sin, there'd be no death. Death is a consequence of sinfulness and a just consequence for it. This is God saying, I'm going to put an end to this sin, this rebellion by wiping it from the earth. And God has every right to do that. Okay, This isn't unrighteous anger. This is a righteous anger of God. It's his righteous anger that would send the water to cover the earth. And this would be the end of the story of humanity if it were not for verse 8. And verse 8 simply says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God, out of his love and grace and mercy, he places favor on Noah and his family. Most of you know the story. You can read it in Genesis chapter 7, right? But, but Noah, he builds an ark, right? Everybody seen Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty or all that, right? Like, like you know the story, okay? Uh, it's not a great portrayal, but it works. Uh, um, <clears throat> But, but like Noah and his family, they build an ark, okay? And, and Noah and his family and, and two of every living creature are brought into that ark uh, in order to survive. They are saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And after this, then it tells us that God makes a covenant with Noah. And he says to him that he's going to bless him and bless his descendants. And if you read through the genealogy of Noah, you'll come across probably a bunch of names you know nothing about. And that's okay, but one you will come to is Abraham. Abraham. And, and what we know about Abraham is that, that ultimately God comes to Abraham and God makes a covenant with Abraham. Only in that covenant, God says, not only will I bless you, but, I will, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And if we follow that line, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, that, that from the seed of Abraham comes Jesus Christ. So, so God's answer for our sin and rebellion and depravity and the brokenness of our relationship with God is God the Son coming for us and for our redemption in the person of Jesus Christ, right? In this story of this baby that's born in a manger. And it's what makes that story so glorious. It's what makes that story as we read that ought to be something that then stirs in us a great hope and a great joy is because this Jesus has come. For us. God comes for us. We're going to get at that more as we go along. But, but go back with me to verse 5 for a minute. Because I want us to see something here about what God's after. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil continually. What, what, what we need to know, right, about God, what we need to see here is that our biggest problem is not a behavioral one. Okay, that, that, that our, our biggest issue is not our, our, our works, it's not our actions, okay? God's like, look, this is deeper than that. This isn't just a thing that, like, you do some wrong stuff sometimes, okay? If that were just the case, then you could read a book, see a therapist, take a class, and get yourself together. But, but, the, but the problem is not your behavior, the problem is your heart. In, in the Bible, your heart is the control 
center of your being. It is your directional and navigational system, right? right? Wherever your heart is, whatever has your heart, has you and controls your thoughts and motives and actions and words. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or sick is a word that's used. Sin isn't simply something that you do, okay? Sin, sin is something that's within. It, it lives in the heart. And, and guess what? Wherever you do and wherever you go, you cannot escape your own heart. Your heart is always with you and you can't make your heart right and you can't make your heart pure. There is nothing in and of yourself that you can do to change the condition of your heart, which means then that you and I and everyone need to be rescued from our heart condition. We need someone outside of us to save us, to do for us what we're not able to do for ourselves if we're ever gonna be the people that God created us to be a people who love him and know him and walk with him. And, and what scripture tells us then is that, that Jesus himself, Jesus is the answer to our heart problem and our heart longing. Right, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And it says, and he has also set eternity in the human heart. All of that is to say, you and I uh, have been born with this chasm, right? This eternal gap within us. If you have a background in church, you maybe heard somebody say something like, like there is a, a hole in the heart of mankind that only God can fill, right? That's where this comes from. That statement comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's the, this idea that, that, that in the core of who we are, there is a gap of eternity that all of us are longing to have filled. And, and unfortunately, what, what happens most often is that we fill to seek the gap of eternity with something that is temporary. Something that can never fill it. it, it and that happens a lot during the Christmas season, Right? I mean, Christmas, for as magical and wonderful and special as the season is, I'm not knocking Christmas. I love, it's one of my favorite times of the whole year. Okay, but, but this is a season, in the season where it pulls on every string in our heart, doesn't it? Right, like where marketers prey upon this gap in our heart. And here's the general message that they're sending and that they're telling us. This is an oversimplification, but I think it works. I think it works. Here it is. Life stinks, Merry Christmas, okay? Really, that's it. Your life is lacking, okay? You are lacking, but don't worry because we have everything that you need to fix that in this season. We are gonna help you get the missing pieces back together. Families are gonna come back together. Relationships will be restored. Joy, harmony, right? All that stuff. That special person you've been wanting in your life, that's gonna happen. You're gonna find them. That car you need, a bow on it in the driveway, right? Like, like all this stuff, right? We, we, we've got all of it. Your life is gonna finally make sense. You'll have joy, you'll You'll have purpose. You'll have meaning, right? If you just have this, if you just get this, if somebody just gives this to you, boom, it's better, right? And they try over and over and over again to sell us something temporary to satisfy something that's eternal. And it never lasts, right? Like, like maybe, maybe it does help for a little bit. I think if we're honest, we would say that's true. It, it, it helps for a little bit. It makes me feel better maybe for a 
little bit. Maybe it, maybe it causes that voice of discontentment within me to calm down and be quiet for a little while. But it doesn't last. And, and we end up, as the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, we end up simply chasing the wind, right? We end up just running and chasing after more and more because nothing ultimately gets us there. Nothing ultimately satisfies or fills us. We never really attain what our hearts are truly aching to have because what is temporary can never fill what is eternal. That is a void that only God can fill. Augustine said it like this about God. He said, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That, that, that's what your heart is after this morning. That, whether you know it or not, you were made for, your, for God and your heart is longing for him. Okay? Jesus is the answer for the longing of your heart. And if you've never surrendered your heart and your life to him, today is that day for you. That, that, that's why you're here, okay? Because God loves you and God pursues you. You thought you showed up today on your own volition, but God planned that you would be here so that you would know him and his love for you. And, and if your heart already belongs to Jesus, if you're here and you've surrendered your heart to him, then, then for us, it's important that we understand, right, that the work of God in you is both a moment and a process, right? Let's be honest, right? There, there are times when the things we desire do really flow out of a heart of love for God, but that's not all the time. There are times where, where you act in the way that, that, that you ought to, Right? Uh, that you wouldn't do, that you wouldn't act, that you wouldn't be if you didn't first love Jesus, but that's not all the time. There are still times when your thoughts and mine are not shaped by the love of God, true? Because that war still continues in our heart from day to day, and there are times when self-love still takes over for us. And so it doesn't really matter who you are this morning and where you find yourself because all of us, every single one of us are still in need of the resources of grace that are only found in Jesus. Sin is our problem and Jesus is our answer. And he is the only one who can deal with our sin and fill the longing in our heart. I'm going to have Beth and the team come back up and I'm going to close this this morning. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but I know that when you come into the Christmas season, but for me, I get excited, but it's also super busy. And there's so many things that go on and so much of it is stuff that I love, honestly. Like I love the family gathering. I love the, I, I just love all the stuff. I actually, I like Christmas shopping, okay? Like some people hate it. I love it. It's like, I, I probably spend too much time in it because I'm just trying to find that like one thing, you know? And so like I'm researching and my wife's like, well, just pick already. 
right? Like, and, and I'm just like, no, but I kind of like this, but this, and I'm like weighing the pros and cons. I got like lists of why I like this and not that or whatever else. Like, like I, there's so many things about the season that I love, but, but, but this season, right? Like, I think if we're honest, one of the things that, 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 that's so important for us to be aware of is that, that this is also a season where it's so easy for us to be distracted, where, where there's so many things that are pulling on our heart and that are vying for our attention, Right? That, that, that are seeking to sort of own our hearts and thoughts and intentions. And, and, and so here's, here's what I want to encourage you with this morning, okay? I, I, I want to encourage you in this. Enjoy this season and draw near to Jesus. Enjoy the season. Embrace, love it. Have a good time. Be with people. Enjoy the season. But draw near to Jesus. Don't in the midst of this season let your eyes not be fixed on him. Okay, don't, don't, don't medicate your own soul with some temporary things, okay? Allow that gap of eternity within your heart to be filled by the only one who is himself eternal and the one who has all the love and all the grace and all the joy and all the hope and everything you ultimately need to be filled. If you guys would stand with me, I'm gonna pray for us. This is our worship this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for your great love. I thank you this morning, God, for your grace and your mercy and your goodness to us. God, I pray that for every single one of us, Lord, that we would have eyes to see ourselves and to see ourselves rightly, God, that we, we would, God, be aware of our own sinfulness, God, that we would be aware of our own rebellion, that we would be aware, Lord God, of our own selfishness and pride and, God, the things that cause us to be apart from you. And, God, I pray that you would overwhelm us, Lord, with your love and your presence. God, that every single person in this room would know your truth, would know your grace, Lord God. God, that though it was we, that though it's us, Lord, who turn our back on you, that though it is we, God, who sin against you, yet, God, you love us and you sent your son for us. God, may we know that. May we rejoice in that in this season. God, in, in the midst of, of this Christmas season, Lord, I pray that for every single one in this room, God, that our hearts and our eyes would be set on you that we would walk in that Hebrews 12, Lord, that we, that, we would, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, that your love would not only overwhelm us, but that your love, God, would stir us in our affection to love you. God, that we would be a people who love you with our heart and soul and mind and strength, and that, God, that would be reflected in this time and in this season. God, that others would come to know you because of the love we have for you. So Lord, have your way in us. God, stir our hearts, stir our affections, Lord. God, help us to walk in the things that, that delight your heart, God. God, help us to be the people, Lord, you made us to be. A people who love you, a people who know you, and a people who walk with you all the days of our lives. God, be glorified in us. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Such a good word to bring us into the Advent season. What I was thinking about is 
that January is often a lower month in my own heart, just a feeling of exhaustion, um, sometimes let down, sometimes just um, an emptiness when I had expected to feel filled up and satisfied. And I was thinking about how the things that Pastor Steve was sharing this morning are what I often look to to fill me up time with family. Um, I love giving gifts. I love spending time with all of you, just like Pastor Steve mentioned. Um, Having all of those great events are really enjoyable for me, and really, um, I put a lot of stock in those to get me through the winter. But January comes, you guys, and it's cold, and a lot of times it's dark, and there isn't all of those fun things anymore. And this morning, even before the message, I just felt this stirring from the Lord of what if this year could be different? What if this year, instead of feeling empty in January, we actually felt filled and ready to pour out to a hurting world around us? Because let me tell you, you guys, if we feel empty in January, guess how the rest of the world's going to feel in January? The rest of the world who doesn't have Jesus, who hasn't had something real to celebrate, who doesn't have someone who they are able to turn to in that lower space. And I was considering how, how what might make it look different for me this Advent season probably isn't going to be the same as it is for you. But you know what? You know what could make it different, and the Lord knows what, it, what could make it different, and the Holy Spirit knows um, the feeling that you need and the space that is needed amongst the busyness, that space that's needed to be filled up with Him. So I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. And if you're willing, I would love if you would join me. I'm just a gal up here. I'm just a normal person um, who's just feeling it from the Lord. So if you would be so gracious as to join me and ask the Lord to highlight for you what he would have you do and be in and what what work he wants to do in you this season, I believe that he will respond favorably to us. So God, I thank you that you are preparing us for Advent, for a time of celebrating you, for being with our families, for being with our friends, uh, for giving and receiving gifts. I thank you that you're preparing us for that time. But God, I thank you that you have a plan for January this year. I thank you that you have a plan for us to be filled up in this season. And I ask for each one of us, including myself, that you would highlight how we can make that happen with you that there would be special times that you would call out to us to tuck in, to put away the busyness, to be in your word, to be in worship of you, to be listening quietly to you, to be praying to you, to be spending such needed time with you so that we can go out and be vessels of your goodness to a broken and hurting world. I thank you so much for giving us Jesus. I thank you that we have him, that we can be rooted and grounded in your love, Jesus. So that way when January comes, we can share that uh, with the rest of the world around us. So God, I ask that you would do that work in each heart here this morning. I thank you so much for, um, for Pastor Steve and his willingness to bring that before us this morning. Just our great, great need for you, Jesus, and for how you responded, God, with your love to us. Amen.